Turn with me in your Bibles, please, for our second reading. Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Ye are the children of the Lord your God. Ye shall not cut yourselves, nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself, above all the nations that are upon the earth. Thou shalt not eat any abominable thing. These are the beasts which ye shall eat, the ox, the sheep, and the goat, the hart, and the roebuck, and the fallow deer, and the wild goat, and the pygarg, and the wild ox, and the... The French way of saying this is the chamois. We say chamois in English. And every beast that parteth the hoof and cleaveth the cleft into two claws and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that ye shall eat. Nevertheless, these ye shall not eat of them that chew the cud or of them that divide the cloven hoof as the camel and the hare and the coney For they chew the cud, but divide not the hoof. Therefore, they are unclean unto you. And the swine, because it divideth the hoof, yet cheweth not the cud. It is unclean unto you. Ye shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their dead carcass. These ye shall eat of all that are in the waters. All that have fins and scales shall ye eat. And whatsoever hath not fins and scales, ye may not eat, it is unclean unto you. Of all clean birds ye shall eat. But these are they of which ye shall not eat, the eagle, and the ossifrage, and the osprey, and the gled, and the kite, and the vulture after his kind, and every raven after his kind, and the owl, and the nighthawk, and the cuckoo, And the hawk after his kind, the little owl, and the great owl, and the swan, and the pelican, and the gear eagle, and the cormorant, and the stork, and the heron after her kind, and the lapwing, and the bat. And every creeping thing that flieth is unclean unto you. They shall not be eaten, but of all clean fowls ye may eat. Ye shall not eat of anything that dieth of itself. Thou shalt not give it unto the stranger that is in thy gates, that he may eat it, or thou mayest sell it unto an alien. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God into the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thy oil, and the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. And if the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, 
<coughs> or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God to, shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then thou shalt turn it into money, and bind up the money in thine hand, and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt bestow that money for whatever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen, for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth, and thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. And the Levite that is within thy gates, thou shalt not forsake him, for he hath no part nor inheritance with thee. At the end of three years thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year, and shalt lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow which are within thy gates, shalt come and shall eat and be satisfied, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. All right, so this passage in its first couple of uh, sections teaches about proper separation unto the Lord. We are, as the people of God, to be a holy people unto the Lord. Uh, In the Old Testament, that looked different in some cases, not in every case, but in some cases, as it looks today. They had dietary laws that we do not follow today, and we have Acts chapter 10 for that. They also had laws with regard to how they cut their hair, and when they cut it, uh, and making marks upon their body that have a general equity principle that we want to talk about. So we have this passage here, Deuteronomy 14. We have uh, Leviticus chapter 19. And we have several other passages, uh, Deuteronomy, I, I believe it's 21. And then passages in the prophets that tell us what we're talking about here when we talk about cutting the hair and making baldness between your eyes. Don't think of, you know, oh, he's getting rid of the unibrow. That's not what's going on here. It's baldness between your eyes like up here, right? Cutting your hair up high, okay? Cutting as a, as a part of, of a mimicking or a following of unbelievers in the way that they mourned for their dead. Now, the general equity principle here is very, very clear. And by general equity, what I mean is... <clears throat> Um, that there's a, um, uh, there is a principle that is taught that carries through the entirety of the Bible, all ages of the world. So we're, we're looking at ancient Near Eastern death rituals in verses 1 and 2. How the heathen lands behaved themselves when their loved ones died. And they did two things generally. The first thing that they did was shave their head in a, couple, in, a, in a particular way, some more, some less. And then the other thing that they did was they made uh, permanent marks on themselves by means of scars. Now let's talk about tattoos for a moment, okay? Because it's an important thing to remember. That in the ancient world, sometimes they used ink and sometimes they didn't use ink when they made tattoos. Sometimes just the scars formed the art You understand what I mean? So you make a cut with a sharp knife in the image of some artwork or something 
or some way to remember a dead loved one, and that mark remained in your flesh, whether you used ink or not. And even today, when you go down to the tattoo parlor, I hope you will never do that. Okay? There, there's a reason, <laughs> as the man said, there's a reason why tattoo parlors are found next to bars. There's a reason for that. Okay? I hope you will never go get a tattoo. But remember what, that what a tattoo is, is it, it's a cut in your skin with an injection of ink. It is still the same kind of cutting. It's just a much smaller cut. It's a needle cut with ink put in, right, over and again until the design comes out. Okay. Now, some of you have tattoos. That's okay. Um, maybe you did that in a weak moment. I'm not saying that you're cursed because you have one. Please, you know, Pastor Todd's got to qualify and qualify sometimes. Okay, we get that. But they did this with regard to ancient Near Eastern death rituals. And we have, we're not left as orphans in this, in its understanding, because the Apostle Paul will tell us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what will he say? I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those of your brethren which have died, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. That's the general equity principle. What is that? 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 or 16, something like that. How did they sorrow? Remember what we read back in chapter 12? How did they worship their gods? So will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do so to the Lord thy God. Okay, now the question is, how did they sorrow after they're dead? Let me do the same. No, Moses says. No, the Lord says. We don't sorrow like those who have no hope. We sorrow in a different way. We lay our loved ones to rest, their bodies being still united to Christ. They sleep in Jesus. We don't, we're not like those who wail and wail, and you can see they're inconsolable. Why? Because they have no confidence with regard to God and His Word. No, we sorrow as those who have hope. That's how we sorrow. So we are not to follow the heathen, the unbeliever, in the way that he sorrows for the dead. That's verses 1 and 2. So then we have how we eat. Now again, these dietary laws do not apply to us anymore. They don't apply to us. Uh, we have a particular passage of scripture. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Acts chapter 10. Okay? So these laws do not apply to us, but shall we say that no dietary restrictions apply to us? We shall not say that. We shall remember that the Lord would have us what? Glorify Him whether we eat or drink. That there is a way to eat and drink that still glorifies the Lord. In the Old Testament, that was you stay away from these foods and you eat these foods. In the New Testament, we're still glorifying the Lord in that we know how rightly to moderate our eating. We know rightly not to love our food, right? And you can you understand what I mean when I say that. That we don't deprive ourselves of food that the Lord is providing for us and harm ourselves that way. That we receive the food that the Lord gives us with thankfulness, generosity, and we know how to glorify Him in our eating. 
So the general equity principle still exists, but it has changed in its application. Okay, so let's talk through the application in the Old Testament and why it was like that. Remember that these uh, laws were given to a, quote, church under age to teach them something. So what were they taught, first of all, in the mammals that they could eat? And we have a list of mammals. um, And then we have the general principle for the mammals, right? The list of mammals includes (coughs) animals like a sheep and a goat and a bovine, a cow, if you will. Uh, uh, what else? Um, certain kind of deer, wild deer, right? Pygarg and chamois, those are, those are small deer that lived in that area, and so on. But what did they have in common? Because it's not only the specifics, but it's the general principle that he gives. Two things. They divide the hoof. That is, that when they leave a print on the ground, there's two prints like that, with, with a division in between. And... They chew the cud. They chew the cud. So they were not predators, in other words. They were those that ate vegetable matter. Now, I'm going to make a point about that. There's a reason for that, but it's not that, you know, meat is bad or meat is murder or anything like that. Remember that they're eating meat. Okay, so let's not take it down that road. But also, let's remember... That there were two things, right? That, that, that they had to chew the cud and divide the hoof. In the division of the hoof, this is that they are to remember that they are a people divided from the rest of the people of the world. And so they saw that in their food. They also saw that they were to be a meditative and a, com- a contemplative people in the chewing of the cud. That there was a spiritual food by which they were separated from all people upon the face of the world. They had the Bible and nobody else did. And that they were to chew on that food and to, and to take that, that example of the animals that they could eat and bring that home to themselves that they would meditate upon the word of God. So they were to be meditative as well as divided from the rest of the people. All right, so then we have things that swim. Things that swim. And what's the division there? It must have fins and scales. The commentators are divided as to whether or not it's fins or scales or fins and scales. I'm more along the lines of fins and scales myself. Okay? It doesn't really matter at this point because the menu is open. All right? But what was prescribed? Why fins and scales? Because their food was to be as far from looking like a serpent as possible. Can't eat anything that looks like a snake. No eels. Sorry, sushi friends, but they didn't eat eel back in those days. It had to have scales and it had to have fins. It couldn't look like a serpent, in other words. The third division of animals has to do with um, birds. Um, what's the division there? Very simply, you could eat birds that were not birds of prey or birds that ate carrion or dead things. Anything that was liable to eat a dead thing, you couldn't eat it. The Lord wants his people separated from death in the way that they eat. And so any bird that eats dead things is off the menu. We kind of follow that today, don't we? We don't eat, you know, we don't eat eagle you know, 
tastes like chicken. I, I don't know what it tastes like. I've never had it, right? We eat birds that are more ground peckers, you know, and, and that's kind of remained true. I suppose that in a pinch, someone has eaten something other than that, but the main distinction here is those that eat dead things or carrion. They can't be a part of your diet. And then we have something here that is informed rather by Leviticus chapter 19. <coughs> or maybe it's 20, 20 some, maybe 20 some, 20, maybe it's 20. It's, it's in that holiness legislation between 19, 20 and 21. And that is that the, there are bugs that are forbidden here. All kinds of bugs are forbidden. But there's one exception to that. Because there are four types of locusts that are, for, that are actually permitted to be used for food. And we'll remember that was the fare of John Baptist when he was in the wilderness. Locusts and wild honey. Okay. So locusts are clean food for the Hebrews. And uh, what that represents to us is it represents the provision of the Lord. There may be times you can't get any of these other things. Or the locusts come through and eat everything else. And so that's the only food available. And so the Lord, rather than causing his people to starve, uh, there's no clean food. He gives them the one thing that ate everything else up as food. Right? That ate up all of their fruits and vegetables and so on. So how we, how we mourn for the dead and how we eat... There are principles that remain even to this day. Then verse 21. You shall not eat of anything that dieth of itself. Okay, You must kill it and bleed it out properly yourself. That's the prescription for the Israelites. Because the blood belonged to the Lord. It was his as the giver of life. And so that had to be properly offered to him. All right, so now we move to tithing. Oh, one more thing. It's a hard passage. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. The Old Testament scholar John Curid has identified a couple of Ugaritic passages in the ancient Near East that show that this was a fertility rite of, of certain peoples in the Old Testament. So once again, they're not to follow the worship of the heathen, even in the way they eat. Okay, so now we have... The things that belong to the Lord in verse 22, the, and that is the tithe of the Lord. Now, we believe that the tithe is a, is a perpetual ordinance for God's people. I know that there are godly men that deny that, but I think they're wrong. It's not a Mosaic institution. It existed before Moses in Christological context, as I've taught you before. Okay, so uh, the tithe belongs to the Lord, and you have to bring that to the Lord every year. There were three times in the year every Israelite male needed to appear before the Lord and he was to bring not only his offerings but his tithes at that time as well. Not only the offering that belonged to, to the Lord in that ceremony, whether it was Passover or booths or firstfruits, but also the tithe. Remember that they brought firstfruit and tithe, both. One-tenth of everything and the firstlings of their flocks and herds. All of that had to, they had to bring. You might say that was pretty impracticable to bring those animals along all of those routes and so on. And they were liable to be robbed and so on. Remember that the Lord made promise to them that he would protect them 
and their family farms while, uh, while they traveled to Jerusalem to take care of their worship business. But there is uh, a provision here made for something that is too far. Too far to go. If it's too far for you, then here's what you might do. You might take the animals that belong to the Lord, you might sell them in your city. And you take that money, and notice how Moses puts it, you bind it up in your hand. That money is the Lord's money, just like those animals were the Lord's. So that money becomes the Lord's money. You bind it up in your hand, and when you get to Jerusalem, you use that money to replace the animals or whatever else it is that you would want to eat before the Lord with the Levite and the priest and all of your family that came with you to participate in those feasts. And they were offerings. They were just translated into money and then translated out of money when you brought them into Jerusalem. But they still belonged to the Lord and they were His. And so what the Lord is telling them is that the medium of their offering is not what's important. It's that they are indeed being just with the Lord, that they give him all of the tithe, all of the first fruits, all of their offering, and that they don't diminish anything from it. Right? And then finally, we have the three-year tithe, which is specifically for the Levite and the poor and, and orphan within their gates. And so this tithe was not brought to Jerusalem, right? Uh, they were to eat and be satisfied within the gates. At the end of three years, thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year and lay it up within thy gates. And so that was a tithe that was administered by the priesthood to those who were uh, actually in need. Notice, if you send the tithe to Jerusalem and it comes back, um, administered by someone who doesn't know what's going on in the local economy, the local city, you're going to have all kinds of opportunity for mischief. But here, it's administered by those who sit in the gates, the priests and the Levites together, who will administer these tithes by means of the benevolence of the church. And it's once every three years. And it's done locally. It's not done in Jerusalem. So once again, we see the wisdom of, of the Lord's establishment, even in caring for the poor. All right, well, that brings us to the end of Deuteronomy 14. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in the singing of psalms.